my immediate right, um, uh, we have um, Judge Clay Jenkins, um, who became the Dallas County judge in 2011 um, and still serves as president of the uh, Jenkins & Jenkins Law Practice and uh, as co-owner of Brown Dental Health Services. Um, Jenkins is a member of the Dallas County Criminal Justice Advisory Board Executive Committee, um, the County's Juvenile Board, and the Dallas County Benefits Committee. Um, to his right is Judge Sarah Eckert, um, who became Travis County's first female county judge uh, in January 2015. Um, in her role, she provides over, uh, presides over Commissioner's Court um, and oversees the county's uh, emergency preparedness and response. Same for Judge Jenkins. Um, previously, she served uh, as a Travis County Commissioner uh, after working as uh, an assistant Travis County attorney for eight years. Um, to her right is uh, Mayor Steve Thurber, the mayor of Wimberley. Um, he was elected in 2014. Uh, previously, he served on the Wimberley City Council for nearly six years. Um, he is a certified public accountant and partner at the Lynn Thurber LLP accounting firm. Thurber also serves on the advisory board of the Friends of Blue Hole, a nonprofit benefiting Wimberley's Blue Hole Regional Park. Um, so this panel will last uh, about an hour, 60 minutes, and include a 15 to 20 minute Q&A session at the end. And there are microphones up here that you can, uh, I'll prompt you to line up at um, when uh, our panel's wrapping up. Um, and uh, before we start our chat, I'll ask you to please silence your cell phones if you haven't already, um, and also use the hashtag TTF if you'll be live tweeting. Um, so uh, I wanted to start with a kind of devil's advocate question. Um, the Texas State climatologist has said um, floods like the one that happened in May um, are increasingly common. Um, and I don't want to in any way um, you know, undermine or uh, the impact that these floods had on people. Um, but I also do want to ask um, uh, about this being part of a larger cycle. Um, uh, I think, frankly, the people who were not affected by the floods have already, you know, forgotten about them. Um, and Texas, as we all know, is punctuated by periods of extreme drought and flooding. Um, and, uh, you know, it seems like we're all just going to forget about this and, you know, it's going to go away, um, especially at the state level. Um, and so, um, Chief Kidd, I want to ask you, maybe we can start with you, you know, was this flood a game changer for you, for state emergency officials in any way, or are we just gonna forget about it and kind of go back to being reactive rather than proactive? So, hi to the crowd, my name is Nim Kidd. I'm the Chief of the Division of Emergency Management for the state of Texas. And uh, sitting next to me is Kevin Hannes, our FEMA coordinating officer okay. being here. And, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped you guys, that's didn't okay. I? That's quite oh, all right. God. I like introducing myself kid. better that way, it's shorter. <laughs> My so, list was short. Yeah, the, Sorry you know, about the question that. was, I think the question was, <laughs> are we going to forget about this? And the answer is absolutely yeah. not. Okay. So uh, to start with, Texas is number one, right? We can talk to y'all and y'all can talk back. Is that true? So Texas is number one. We should not forget we have more major disaster declarations than any other state in the nation. And then you ask, well, how do you get a major disaster declaration? A lot of people think it has to do with politics. And that's not the case, it's based on population. See, FEMA sets a standard that says $1.41 per capita is what a state's disaster threshold is. And so Texas needs $35.4 million of uninsured loss before FEMA is able to assist us with financial recovery from any disaster. 
Now, when I say we're number one, we have more than all other states in the nation, even though we have the second highest threshold. So we get a lot of action. We see a lot of communities that take that to heart. Two, two and a half of them are sitting here. Wimberley, first time for a major event in a long time. But I guarantee you the mayor is going to say things that they are not going to forget and do different. And then with Judge Eckert and Judge Jenkins, I think they've both learned from previous disasters in this area how they have to keep reminding folks. And while I've got the stage, before we move too far off, I want to say that the biggest thing that we need help with as elected officials and appointed officials is from this group. It, it's from the media. And it's helping us share the message with the public. Because I do think the public tends to forget. And it was, it was a pretty proud days after 9-11 seeing all the American flags. When's the last time you saw that many? Yeah. The further we get away from a major disaster, the more our collective remembrance does drop. Okay, let me introduce you guys. You guys are very worthy of an introduction. I'm sorry, I forgot you. You're on another page. So this is no, no, we're not. This is Chief. This is we Chief are all on the same page. We are all on the same page. A different physical page. Um, so this is Chief Nemkid who just spoke. Um, he's led the Texas Division of Emergency Management since 2010, uh, when he was appointed by DPS Chief Steve McCraw. Um, previously, he served as San Antonio's Homeland Security Director and Emergency Manager. Um, Kidd also served as a firefighter and district fire chief uh, prior, to, prior to that. Um, in addition, he served as a member of Texas Task Force One urban search and rescue team uh, responding to state and national disasters. And to his left um, is uh, Officer Kevin Hannes, who is a federal coordinating officer at the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Um, in his role, Hannes uh, coordinates state and federal resources during major disasters and emergencies. Um, he has overseen the federal response to several major disasters and emergencies in Texas, including the Deepwater Horizon oil spill and the Ebola outbreak last year. Um, sorry to interrupt the discussion again to do that. You guys deserve an, an introduction. Um, uh, Judge Eckert or, or Judge Jenkins, do you, do you guys want to weigh in on, you know, um, do you fear um, that these floods will be forgotten about or um, is that, you know, uh, do you guys think about it in terms of, you know, it being, you know, drought flood, drought flood that, that this, you know, state level leaders forget about or? I don't believe state leaders forget about it. And, and um, we live in Flood Alley in Central Texas. Um, floods have always been the largest uh, uh, taker of human life um, as far as disasters in this region. Um, I'm a fifth generation Texan and my family's from around here and we, are very much aware, anyone who has lived here for any period of time is very much aware that flooding in Central Texas, um, you, you turn around or else you drown. Um, what is of great concern, I, I don't imagine people will forget after they've lived through a flood. My major concern is that we have 40 people who move here into Austin every day and 110 who move into the metropolitan statistical area that aren't aware of our propensity for flooding. And it's not a cycle of flood or drought, as in the flooding that just occurred. That is flooding occurring during drought. Um, so it's not an either or. We are often in both disasters simultaneously, a swift moving uh, and um, uh, emergent disaster and what's known as a um, slow moving, ongoing disaster of drought. So I think the trick is to educate the new people who are moving here. Um, to let them know that this is a flood-prone area, that although it is 
absolutely wonderful to live along the waterways of Central Texas. Mm -hmm. And that's where everyone does want to live. It's, um, it's, it's a natural tendency for human beings to want to live close to, to this life-giving water. Um, but when you move to um, isolated splendor along the waterways of Central Texas, um, that comes with a great deal of responsibility. And so it's incumbent on us as the, uh, as the county judges. Um, we, are, um, we are the people designated under the Texas Constitution to be uh, the managers of disasters in our, in our counties, that we educate everyone who is moving here of the personal responsibility that comes with living in Flood Alley. Okay. Um, you always hear that you know, the, these floods and other floods occur you know, often outside um, the mapped flood zones, the 100-year flood zone, the 500-year flood zone. Um, Mr. Hannes, can you um, address, you know, is the data up to date on that at the federal level? Are people, um, oftentimes, I lived in Houston for a while, and people would say, well, I'm not in the, I'm not in the flood zone. My house isn't going to flood. And then it, of course, would flood because it's Houston. Um, the same applies, applies elsewhere. Can you talk about the mapping and... And, yeah, um, and, and thank you. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and talk about these issues. Uh, it's really about the, when we look at flood mapping, uh, you know, we talk about a 500-year or 100-year flood, but it's really a risk-based system of where we think the, you know, it's a 1% probability of having a flood in those areas or a 5% if you're looking at the 500-year. And so it's really, as cities change and grow, um, those maps could, could change. We look at it continually. Uh, we work with locals because it's really a local issue. And we work through the locals and the state when they think they need to have their maps updated. And we will go in and, and work with them on a cost share basis to do that. So again, it gets to what uh, Judge Eckert was talking about, that personal responsibility not only of the citizens to know where they live and what their responsibility is for flood insurance, but is also uh, our collective responsibility as leaders in government to to make sure that they're educated on that, that we are looking across the spectrum of the uh, environment within inside that city or county, um, and what has changed, and, and do we need to remap those? So yes, the data is accurate. Um, we use major disasters to help accelerate some modifications to those flood maps because it happened, so now we have some new data to, to use and, and uh, issue new advisory-based flood elevation levels. Um, so it's, it's a collective burden on all of us, and I think we do a pretty good job. So it's an ongoing effort to, ongoing. to keep them updated, and um, does do the things you take into account change? I mean, are you accounting more for climate change, sea level rise? Um, I, I think it's, it's uh, not being an engineer um, and a hydrologist. Um, mm -hmm. I leave that those types of things from there. I think what they do is they take into account what is the landscape, uh, how has the environment changed on, on the ground, have streams or creeks or rivers changed? Mm -hmm. What is their capacity? I think you look at all of that. What is the flow rate? Is it drought? Is it not? Uh, you have to take all that into consideration as you put those maps together. Right. Mayor Thurber, is that a, a lot of the flooding that happened uh, in your area in Wimberley, was it outside the flood zone? Is that something you guys thought, thought a lot about um, in terms of letting people know um, that they were living, you know, um, in an area where they could um, have such a disaster? This one, was, <clears throat> this flood was something that we've never seen before. Uh, the previous high uh, rise in the Blanco River was 34 feet. Uh, when the gauge blew out on the river bridge, it was 42 feet, and we've seen high water marks as high as, over, as, high as 50 feet. 
so this was gen uh, definitely a once in a, once in a, a long time flood. Uh, one of our challenges was notification. Uh, there are a lot of folks that were in town for the weekend from out of town that are vacationing and vacation rentals on the river. Uh, they don't, they're not aware of that. They're coming from Houston and Austin and Dallas and, and far places right. far beyond. Uh, that was the challenge, was to get to those folks uh, in a timely manner. Uh, I think we were, we were very fortunate to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, that's, but we just have to watch, we have to take into consideration that these things, that this, the river does flood in drought and in, in times of wet weather. Sure. Uh, and one of the things we have to do is be mindful that, that we have to let people know in a hurry. Right. Judge Jenkins, you don't normally, Dallas isn't really known as like a, you know, it's not in Flash Flood Alley like Wimberley is, but um, is a, were the flood maps, did that kind of come up um, and what you experienced in Dallas in May? Um, were, were you shocked that there was flooding in areas that um, you didn't think there would be flooding or? Um, we were not surprised with the areas that uh, flooded, but um, I was in Washington, D.C. Um, after we'd already lost three people in the floods. Mm. And um, some of our people in Washington, D.C. didn't even realize that Dallas uh, had the flood problem uh, that it had. We ended up losing four people, possibly five, um, with the flooding. Uh, one person that had a heart attack. We're not sure if they drowned first or had the heart attack first. Um, but uh, no, the mapping was not a big problem because we'd spent so much time and effort with the core um, on the Trinity levee system and on having our maps reevaluated. Um, and we had good communication, which is very important in these situations, not just with the public, but good communication um, with the Corps and with uh, uh, TDM, and particularly early on as the flooding was happening with the Corps, um, you just peer-to-peer -peer constant communication so we could update our GIS maps as to where the mm -hmm. water would likely be. And so that made it fairly smooth as far as evacuations. Right. I guess you just think of flood maps as being, you know, uh, Judge Egger, you, you um, referenced, you know, the need for informing people and letting them know the, the risks and all that. Um, did you have thoughts on, it just seems like maps could be, you know, a component um, to that. Um, is that something that, um, that came up? Um, during the flooding in May and, and Austin, and we definitely can. But we we have um, th there's not I, I don't perceive us as having gaps in analysis in what's currently occurring our current floodplain areas. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember that a lot of these structures were built 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So we have um, entire communities that are built in the floodplain mm -hmm. um, that that predate our relationship with FEMA and uh, the flood insurance program. We saw that in Onion Creek. That is an entire community built in the floodplain. Um, and uh, Travis County and the city of Austin have been working for many years along with FEMA to buy out those properties in full knowledge that they were in the floodplain. Um, uh, so the, the accuracy of our current maps, of course, is extremely important. But we do have a, a large number of communities um, that grew up before a time that uh, the federal government had um, uh, quite presciently built a system of, of a carrot to get local governments like ours and uh, also state governments uh, like Texas to actually practice land use management. <laughs>
Remember that word, land. Because <laughs> we yeah. have very, very little control over where people build in the state of Texas because of property rights. So prior to the, the flood insurance program that created the carrot, saying, you know, if you, if you let people build in floodplains, we're not going to come in and bail you out when, when the water gets high. Um, um, before that, um, the state of Texas gave us no power to regulate where people built. So if you wanted to build right up against the river, even when you knew it had a 35-foot high, um, there was no governmental entity to stop you. Judge Eckerd, what you're saying, you know, touches on um, the issue of, you know, development. Um, you, uh, you all represent areas that are fast growing, um, and you know, is development an issue? And, and you know, you, you reference this. Uh, you know, are there things we can do to um, development at, de development wise to um, to mitigate flooding uh, risks? I think there are. I think one striking thing that that um, I've seen over the last couple of years is I saw a presentation that of all of the urban areas in the United States, uh, the largest temperature gain over the last 50 years was the temperature gauge at Love Field, basically right in the middle of the Metroplex in Dallas. And so there are a variety of things that we can do with land use mm -hmm. to restrict um, uh, development, to uh, use water catch systems, to, um, I mean, things that we're looking at as far as combating the effects of global warming on a larger level than just flooding is tree planting, white roof, um, less pavement. Uh, you know, the more, the more pavement we have, that water need has to go somewhere. Right. And when you um, don't plan for where the water goes and you don't, leave, you don't make the developer pay for where the water goes, um, then you have some real trouble. We've got some of those problems from decisions that were made in the 80s and 90s and even in this century that we deal with now. Mm -hmm. Mayor Thurber, there's a talk in Wimberley, I guess, of maintaining riparian zones and those, you know, kind of the brush along the river um, that people have cleared to have beautiful waterfront um, property. Is that, um, you know, an effort you're, um, you know, embarking on to encourage people to not clear cut their, their waterfront um, to better protect themselves from, that's, from that's flooding? A real, that's a real hot topic in mm -hmm. Wimberley right now. Uh, of course, everyone, as Judge Eckhart said, wants to live on the river, and they want to have that river bank look as lush and green and, and clear and, uh, as you possibly can. And on the other side of that is, is what does that do to the river flows when, when you do that? There's nothing to slow the water down. Uh, there's nothing to hold the soil. It's, it's it's again property rights versus versus uh, people rights, and uh, it's an individual decision that, that they are making. Uh, there are a lot of organizations, a lot of folks talking about what the right thing to do is, and the individual property owner just has to make that decision. Uh, we're, we're hoping that uh, they make the right decision. We what we have heard is, as a city is that leave it alone. If it's not a safety hazard, leave it alone. It will come back. It will be green uh, again and it will be uh, the, new, the new norm. So it is, it is a, a, a hot topic. Sure, sure. Uh, Chief Kidd, do you want to weigh in on the development issue? Um, it, do you, is flooding worse in areas that are overdeveloped? Do you think um, cities could better manage uh, development, or do, do things help mitigate flooding? 
two points. The first is you put 12 inches of rain on any surface in a short period of time and you're going to get flooding. And as we talk to our communities and the people that we don't want to forget, to remind them to turn around, don't drown, as Judge Eckert said, I think is the number one life-saving measure that we do. The second, when it comes to some of the uses of that, each community has their own mitigation action plans in order to do that. And those are, as everybody on the panel said, those are local decisions to make. Okay. Mr. Hannes, you um, have thoughts on the development issue and um, how cities can better manage that. Is flooding worse in, in areas that are overdeveloped? Or I, you know, I'm not going to really, I don't really want to speak about the development, but as they develop, mm -hmm. is that mitigation plan developed at the local level to mitigate, to build in resilience with inside their development to reduce the amount of risk of severe damage during a flooding event. You know it's going to flood. How do you mitigate against that? That's where we want to encourage uh, local municipalities to take a look at that as they are doing their developments, is, is to build in that mitigation, uh, that risk reduction, build in resiliency, look at the flood elevation levels, what is that base, build above that, harden structures where you need, can harden, uh, work with the Corps of Engineers if you're going to look at levee systems or flood control systems, uh, make it a, a whole of community a, uh, effort, but it is truly a local decision. Okay. Um, as I alluded to in my um, intro, the, uh, state climate, the state climatologist has linked um, floods to climate change. Um, and I'm wondering, um, Chief Kidd, does the state factor climate change into its uh, flood preparedness plans, or is it looking at doing that, if not? So there's a window, and the time period of those windows are the things that we need to plan for. Today in Texas, we're dealing with flooding that's down in the valley drought and wildfires across other places and watching a tropical depression down across the Bay of Campeche that hopefully will come and bring a little bit of moisture, the right amount, Mayor, uh, <laughs> across much of the Texas that needs that. So I would say we are always looking at weather and the weather patterns that produce a response on our end. Okay. Do you look at them long term and the, and the you know, uh, patterns of change, the sea level rise, how that changes storms? Yeah, I bet we could all have different definitions of what long-term means. Mm -hmm. uh, how long of a term are you talking about here do we look at? I mean, we can go back and look backwards at data and forwards at data. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is my job is to plan for the next event that's going to happen and make sure that our communities are prepared for it. Is the assumption that floods will get worse, that um, fires, the, there's a fire going on in Bash Highway, up right now will get worse um, because I, of I think there's change. a lot of really smart people that have varying opinions on that and argue quite a bit about it. I choose not to get into the arguments and I want to deal with preparedness side. Okay. Um, Mr. Hannes, can you talk about, you know, how FEMA um, accounts for climate change and its uh, uh, flood and disaster preparedness and, and modeling? Well, again, we're, we're in the, well, Chief Kidd and I are in that uh, emergency management preparedness. Our windows are not as large sure, as, sure. as you're looking at climate change. So it is, it's how do you prepare for that next event? I would say that we're always gonna to try to plan for the worst, because if you plan for the worst and you build capacity and capability to do the worst, then you're gonna be able to uh, get through any, any event. So as we look at those types of issues, it's really how do we prepare uh, for that? But again, our windows are much smaller in, in relationship to uh, talking about climate change from an emergency management perspective. Okay. The mayor and the, and the judges, however. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, 
our job, it, you know, the, the uh, emergency preparedness professionals, it's absolutely true. Y'all are looking, y'all are looking to be prepared for the next disaster, whatever it is. But those of us who work in public policy have got to have a 30-year, 50-year, 100-year event horizon as we take a look at the planning for our communities. Um, when you have a long-term horizon that you're looking at, you've got to recognize that we are seeing longer duration drought, more frequent floods, higher, um, uh, higher top temperatures in our region, and so you've got two things happening at the same time that are going to make our disasters um, more frequent and larger, climate change and a population surge. Yeah. And that, Chief Kidd, you're saying, I mean, you, the window's too short for that. I mean, you're, you're not, um, I mean, you're not accounting for uh, disasters getting worse for the population growing and that kind of thing. It's we, just not, average, not a thing you think about. Yeah, we average a major disaster declaration about once every eight and a half months in Texas since 1953 mm -hmm. on average. Um, the way that we prepare is to make sure that the communities are prepared our job is to support mayors and county judges as the local emergency management directors. I think all together we are always looking at what the next threat or next hazard will be, whether it's flash floods, wildfires, droughts, tornadoes, or hurricanes. And so the, the frequency of how often we prepare for them, I'm not sure how much more we want to prepare than once every eight and a half months. But Okay. Oh, what, one of the things I want to jump in here and mm -hmm. talk about, uh, Judge Eckhart talked about the Onion Creek uh, whole community flooded because it was all built in... Uh, in the floodplain. When it was built, it wasn't built in the floodplain. That's the part of planning. Now we have to plan so the development that we create today will not be in the floodplain when the new flood comes 30, 50, 60 years from now. That's, that's our job as, as the local, local elected officials is to make sure that doesn't happen. And also just think about it, the, the campus that we're sitting on, the 40 acres, has so little, so, so much impervious cover that the runoff created a circumstance on Waller Creek necessitating a tunnel project at great expense. Um, Waller Creek floods predominantly because of the 40 acres. What other um, things can we do to better manage, you know, flood risk? Um, Judge Jenkins, you want to weigh in on that? And there's a uh, a lot of discussion of, you know, a dam, a would-be dam on the Blanco River that could really help, um, you know, an emergency preparedness, kind of alert system, um, those kinds of things. Judge Jenkins, are you guys looking at sure. anything else that we haven't discussed? So um, some things that we've already done is we've incorporated uh, technology so that uh, you can sign up for alerts uh, based on your zip code and it's getting down to even your, your street and your your neighborhood, so you can sign up for those things. Your phone will make a loud noise, it'll, it'll tell you. And um, we have a Cooper uh, notification system, bunch of things in Dallas, but this works anywhere. Anyone can go get Red Cross apps for floods, tornadoes, uh, and other weather emergencies. They're free on your iPhone or your Google phone. You can plug your zip code in there. Uh, so that's something that we're doing. Um, I do agree, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to, um, I'm a Democrat in Texas, so I can listen to scientists and still get reelected. Um, and so we do have to look at 
you know, what, what the future is going to look like. Now, people can have a difference of, a, uh, of opinion about what the future is going to look like, certainly. But if you've got, you know, nine out of ten scientists telling you um, one thing, I think, you know, we have to follow the science on that. And so looking at um, the best projection of what uh, the future is going to look like for uh, Dallas County and our communities 20, 30, 50 years down the road, and then working with our developers to achieve their goals, but do it in a, in a safe way uh, for our, our citizens. That's something that we are um, continuing, have been doing and are continuing to do, and along with the city of Dallas and some of our other partners are accelerating um, in doing and dealing with runoff and also with heat. Gotcha. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about that too is is that in our Wimberley event, we had about two inches of rain that night. Our flood was caused by upstream flooding, and we realized right away that we needed some we needed more and better advanced warning. And so we've worked in partnership with some of LCRA, GBRA, other folks to put in upstream monitoring of of the rivers that that feed the Blanco. Uh, so we'll know, we'll have a better idea of where the water's coming from, how much and how fast, as well as additional rain gauges. Uh, mm -hmm. And we are also working uh, with the county, Hayes County, to put in a system of sirens uh, up and down the river. Because again, we have, we have a lot of migrant visitors during the weekends uh, in prime time that don't, aren't signed up and can't get signed up for the local alerts, the reverse 911 calls, et cetera. So we need some method to, to help those folks know what's coming uh, to help us. Are there plans for a dam on the Blanco River? Um, there are no plans. There are, there's a lot of discussion about a dam on the Blanco River. Uh, uh, there's been that discussion for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know where it will go, but uh, it, it's, it's ongoing. Chief Kidd, would that help? Uh, what other things would, would help? With yeah, I want, I want to put the plug risk. in for the NOAA weather radios right now. Mm -hmm. Because that's something yeah. that just about everybody in this room can afford, you know, anywhere from twelve to fifteen dollars at just about every store you go to. Mm -hmm. The NOAA weather radios or the all hazard radio will save lives. And when you travel, you plug it into the wall. You have your battery in it. It finds your local National Weather Service tower. There's there's thirteen weather offices in Texas. It finds the one with the strongest signal, and it will set for the alerts and the warnings in order to wake you up in the middle of the night. And, and regardless of dams upstream and notification systems and reverse 911s, the NOAA weather radio will save lives. And so that's something that we've got to be pushing collectively across the board to get mm -hmm. that message out. In fire, flood, or hurricane. Right. Yes, ma'am. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Civil disturbance, amber alerts, they all come out. I mean, it really is an all-hazards emergency notification tool. Uh, but once you buy the radio, it doesn't cost you anything to operate it. Right. CVS, Walgreens, HEB, Kroger's. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you, <Nice>. Jeff. <laughs> Mr. Hannes, do you have anything else to add? Um, well, in I that think realm? It's, it's really about preparedness. And so, uh, you know, our message is, is not just to the elected officials, but it's really that individual to be ready, to be prepared. Do they have flood insurance? Do they live in a flood-prone area? Um, do they, ha you know, what is their flood insurance? Uh, what type do they have? Uh, do they have a preparedness kit? Do they know where they're going to evacuate to? Do they heed that weather radio message? Uh, it's about personal preparedness and being ready as a community. Um, you know, I ask people a lot of times when I give presentations to name me three
three first responders. They will always go fire, police, EMS. Well, they get their second. You, I, everybody else that is there that is in the event at that time, we are the first responders to each other. And so we're taking a whole community approach at looking at a personal responsibility to become a survivor rather than a victim, because survivors we can leverage collectively across this panel to aid each and every Texan that's impacted by an event. So it's really about personal preparedness, knowing your community, working with local officials, knowing your local emergency manager, uh, knowing those con when those conditions are ripe, and heeding the, the direction of the uh, senior elected officials who make those decisions to evacuate or not to evacuate. Mayor Serber and I were talking um, before the panel about the political um, kind of difficulties of, um, you know, basically you need, you, there's political will after an emergency to respond to it and be proactive um, and all of that. And um, I'm wondering what the elected officials kind of face. And I mean, making a case for a dam on the Blanco River, are we going to have to wait for the next flood for that, um, you know? Well, I think first we have to we have to determine if a, a dam on the Blanco River will will help will solve our problem or will help solve our problem. Uh, there's a lot of information on both sides, so I don't think that there that there's a a political discussion there. First, we have to find out, even if you're Democrat or Republican, the, the scientists have to tell us if they're if they're going to if it's a, the right thing to do if, if it will help. Sure. Um, I guess, you know, Texas isn't the only state that's stuck in kind of a being reactive rather than proactive to disasters, not including, you know, floods, hurricanes, other kinds of things. Um, Chief Kidd, do you see, I guess you wouldn't really, your job would be impacted if there weren't, you know, uh, we were able to prevent all these disasters, but do you see um, kind of a, you know, a, a need for, um, for the proactiveness rather than, than reactiveness to yeah, these kinds I'm, of events? I guess I'm confused as to what you think we are right now versus proactive or reactive. Mm -hmm. uh, I choose to think that we are a prepared state. When you look at the amount of okay. destruction that we have compared to other states and you look at, uh, go back to 2011 wildfires. We burned four and a half million acres of land, thousands of homes, very little loss of life. One loss is too many. But still, I mean, when you think about uh, the May flooding and the hundreds of rescues that were done, most of the people uh, that did perish in that that we've all read in the news reports didn't turn around. They drove through low water crossings even after the rain had stopped, knowing that the water was still there. Or they decided to let their kids go out and play in, in rushing, swollen creeks. Mm -hmm. These are all preventable accidents. Right. But as, as appointed and elected officials, I'd like to think that we are pretty proactive in this state and how we manage disaster response. Okay. Uh, 90, 91, 92% of Texans are covered by a community emergency management plan. That's a pretty high number. When you look at the 254 counties that we have, 254 county judges, 1,200 mayors, a whole lot of emergency management directors out there, we take a pretty strong approach to that. Okay. Um, some of the things that I think we're talking about change on the reactive side, I'm, I'm not sure that that's within our current capability. Okay, Judge Eckert, yeah. I'd like to just echo uh, what Chief Kidd is saying. We, we are fairly proactive and probably the most effective proactive action we can take is to educate the individual about the risks that they face based on where they live or where they choose to vacation. 
Um, so the NOAA, you know, the NOAA radio is, is really, um, it, it sounds almost pedantic, but it is the best thing that you can do to prepare. And that's the most proactive thing we can do. One thing that I am concerned about from a political standpoint is uh, right after these events, we often talk about large infrastructure programs like dams. Um, after the, the wildfires of 2011, there was a lot of discussion about another bridge over the Colorado River because of the difficulty in evacuating Steiner Ranch. Um, but when you start talking about these large infrastructure responses to a major uh, disaster, you are fighting the last disaster. And they never occur the same way twice. So um, I, I do, I, I remain vigilant and a little concerned about the, the politics post-disaster. Um, because really, the, the biggest proactive effort that we can make is to educate the individual. Judge Jenkins, do you have thoughts on um, that kind of delicate political balance and well, after an uh, event? <laughs> after, after an event, I will all say this. You know, I've been involved in, in a reactive situation, which was Ebola, where we had no instant command, and, and there had been, you know, as far as I know, no, no uh, game planning for that on, on our level. Um, uh, so... That's not the situation that we're in with flooding and severe weather. We, we game plan for that all the time. Perhaps the question is, um, could, could agencies, but I don't think it would probably be TDEM or FEMA, but it might be um, up the chain at Congress and the legislature do more to, to look at what this, um, what our climate, what our flood, flooding and et cetera is gonna look like 30 and 50 years from now. Um, I will, um, reiterate what they're saying. Um, communication and personal responsibility are incredibly important. You know, everyone in this room is a political junkie, so you know a ton of politics, and you know, you can close your eyes and name some cabinet secretaries. Heck, half the population <laughs> of the United States can't name the vice president, okay? So just because you know not to drive through water doesn't mean that all of your neighbors do or that your 16-year-old will. Um, and by the way, don't ever drive through water, even if you think you can, because that's teaching your 16-year-old that's an okay thing to do. And I've been county judge for five years, but I've had to be there when we buried first responders. Um, we had a first responder, a firefighter, Tankersley, who had to go out onto an icy road uh, and a car lost control and knocked him off of a bridge and killed him. I've been with people when they bury kids who uh, get stuck in water, um, and that is a bad situation for families to be in that they never get over. So that's something that we really have to, from our side and from the community side, push out there to have a plan for your family and to turn around, don't drown. To, you know, get those weather radios. We kid about that a little bit when we talk about where you can get them, but this is serious stuff. Um, if you have the misfortune of being around families who've lost people in, this, in, the, in these disasters, you, you can see it, and you know, I tell you this, I've got a weather radio in my office, in my house. I've got those updates on my phone. Um, we've had those talks with every person in my family about what their plan is for everything from floods to tornadoes. So we've all got a job to do. Please do your job too. Okay. We need to go to Q&A uh, pretty shortly, but um, 
I guess I wanted to ask uh, each of you to state concisely, you know, what you learned from the flood personally, professionally. Um, uh, it's a chance to add anything else we didn't discuss. Um, can we start with you, um, Judge? Um, key things for electeds that I, I learned from, from the floods that are things you can actually uh, use is um, I worked closely with our TDEM and our, our um, FEMA team, and I went out along with my key executive staff uh, as we looked at the damage to the cities, and we would tweet pictures, and we would communicate regularly uh, with them, and building that camaraderie and that teamwork with your TDEM and your FEMA team members where you're in the truck with them for eight hours a day is an important thing because communication is key, and the best way to communicate with somebody is face-to-face. Um, so that's something I learned from the floods. Probably the other thing I learned, I, I was telling Kevin this last night. So Kevin and I have been through Ebola, wet, um, let's see, Ebola, unaccompanied minors, flooding, and a couple of other, uh, 19 tornado cluster and a couple other disasters. So we were having a beer last night, and I was telling him, one of the things I learned from, from uh, one of his people is I didn't know what to do with this lady that was in front of me because it seemed I should hug her, but I didn't know if I should hug her. And he jumped in and just hugged her. And, you know, so I learned as an elected official, sometimes, not during Ebola, nobody wants to hug you during Ebola, <laughs> but during flooding, you're the hugger in chief, right? And if people, some people don't want to be hugged, but when people want to be hugged, you got to get your shirt dirty and hug them. But, Judge Eckert, anyone? I think the biggest thing that I learned through not only the floods, but also the fires is that, um, the, the big dividend of empowering people in advance of an event creates a, you know, a, a multiplier effect in the everyday hero. Because the everyday hero who has a lot of information at his or her disposal before an event becomes an incredibly effective everyday hero. We had a tremendous number of people who did unbelievable things in those floods and fires um, were, you know, they were plumbers, teachers, stay-at-home moms, accountants, not, not trained first responders who did incredible, incredibly heroic things in unbelievably stressful circumstances. So um, we, can, we can empower people to be heroes by doing that proactive work to educate people about what threats do exist in our community, and what the best way is to respond to them when they do come. Mayor Thurber? I think the first thing I learned is I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> uh, so the, the response that we got, I, I got called out late, late at night, and by early the next morning, uh, as Judge Eckhart said, we had, I was hearing stories of our uh, swift water rescue boats in the water going 35 miles an hour, going in a river that's going 35 miles an hour chasing houses down the river, mm -hmm. uh, making rescues of uh, people in trees, animals in trees. Uh, and it wasn't, wasn't hours after that that our friends at TDEM were there. Uh, Chief Kidd and his staff were there. We had a command station uh, set up. Uh, we had whatever we needed. They said, we are here for you. We're not, we don't. You know, we're not telling you what to do. Whatever you need, you tell us, we get it, and we got it. Uh, these guys do terrific work, and thank you for that. Uh, a week later, uh, Kevin and his staff showed up. 
uh, and started helping our, our citizens. Uh, that, and that was, it was so seamless. I, I, you see stories on the news where this disaster was a disaster within itself because the, the handling of it and the management of it was, was, was not good. Uh, these guys know what they're doing and that, that was really appreciative to me. And our, the communities, the commu our communities, our, our, in all of our communities, showed up, did it all, brought food, clothes, water, took care of us. Uh, so it is community-based, and you have to, have to be, be ready for it. Mr. Hannes. I'm going to take a lesson from a very senior emergency manager that told me you never get ahead of the state, so Chief Kidd. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. I did say that, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> The thing that I think I learned from this particular flood, don't ever be surprised by the kindness of people. Mm -hmm. uh, as Judge said, there were so many people that stopped whatever they were doing just to go and lend a hand. You should never have to go through a disaster alone. And I think we always have to expect the unexpected. Uh, I think, uh, you may not be familiar with the Higgins and Langley Award for Swiftwater Rescue. It started in 1993. Uh, was a, a California firefighter in 1993, and then in 1980 was a photojournalist, media guy, uh, that got washed away in two separate flood events. And their families came together and created the Higgins and Langley Award for Swiftwater Rescue and Swiftwater Excellence. Um, a few weeks ago, I went to South Bend, Indiana, to receive the first ever Higgins and Langley Award given to a state for the way that we responded to the floods uh, from May through June. And so that in and of itself brings back the message of we have got to know each other before the disaster, just like Judge Jenkins said. We've got to spend those times together. We have to have elected officials that take their jobs very seriously, and I promise you these three do. Take their job for public safety very seriously. And you have to have appointed officials that will carry out their orders just like they want them. We have to have a media that listens to that and shares it one voice, one time with the public that has thought about preparedness, had an opportunity to be trained on preparedness, and will trust us in the message that we're sending in order to save lives. Okay. And we can never lose that focus. Okay, and we can take questions now. Um, go ahead. Hi, my name is Angela Kennedy. I'm a council person uh, for the city of Buda, and we experienced some flooding, um, I believe it was last October, was what we call our Halloween floods. And as a result of that event, we identified some drainage issues that needed improving. Um, we considered a drainage fee that um, ended up being politically unpopular. So now we're scrambling to try to figure out how to fund the improvements that are necessary to prevent future flooding. And I would appreciate any comments or suggestions to try to solve that issue locally. Judge Eckert, any, any local that, elected? Uh, that, and that's a, a really rough issue. Um, and spreading the, uh, the cost of such an infrastructure project I mean, I was talking about bridges and dams before, but drainage, of course, you need to respond to these, these drainage issues that you've um, identified. Um, uh, spreading that over a small group of people like the community of Buda is going to be difficult. Um, uh, the tax base of Buda only has so much capacity in it, so bonding for it would be difficult. Um, a drainage fee, I completely understand you move into a drainage fee or a public improvement district, putting a public improvement district over the area um, you know, the, the next logical place to go is, um, is to the county. 
um, for, uh, to draw from the county-wide tax base uh, to look at a county-wide drainage initiative. Um, and that might be something to take a look at, to, to spread the burden over um, the county's tax base to address drainage in all of the high population areas that are, that are experiencing um, these circumstances. Okay, we'll go to this mic unless anyone else wants to jump in. My question is for Mayor Thurber. I know it's been a few months since the Memorial Day floods that happened, and I was wondering if you could talk briefly about um, Wemberley and how the community is reconstructing or reconstruct, reconstructing following um, these past few months that have gone by. Well, we have done, I think, a pretty good job. It's going to take a long time. Uh, we, it's, we were fortunate in one sense in that the event was uh, restricted in, to the river. So we didn't lose much of our economic or, or commercial base. Uh, we have, we have to date, I think, uh, over 200 uh, uh, reconstruction permits, uh, building permits to repair homes. And we're just now starting to get our rebuild permits uh, coming in, people deciding what they can, what they want to do and if they can reconstruct. We just got our new uh, ABFEs, our advisory based flood elevation maps from FEMA, so we're going over those and making folks aware of those and so they can build their homes safely and in safer uh, elevations. Did, did that answer your Absolutely. All right, thank you. <laughs> okay, last question. That was kind of a little bit on the same subject, and thank you guys so much for all your uh, reaction afterwards and the help, helping people out in the communities. I know a lot of people there. and I have a water background, and just kind of speaking on the proactive versus reactive situation, what can be done? I understand this is a unique event, and it was really sudden. Um, however, in terms of hydrodynamics, there's been many studies on slowing waters down using riparian restorative practices and promoting riffle and pool dynamics, et cetera. So I know the mayor has endorsed the leave it be kind of technique of um, the debris approach, as well as TPWD, and I'm sure NRCS would endorse that as well. Um, but for the mayor, do you predict that the community of Wimberley um, will be moving toward more of a natural mitigation to proactively uh, mitigate these kind of future events, uh, at least on the small scale? This is obviously a large event, but um, it still floods periodically. And the question to FEMA, would they be considering making uh, any partnerships with NRCS or other uh, agencies to promote such uh, proactive, physically proactive Action. Mr. Hannes, do you want to take that one first and then you can go to me? Yeah, as, as the federal coordinating officer, it's my responsibility to ensure that we bring the entire federal family to look at all of those issues at the request of the state and the local entities. And so as we get those requests and we're brought into that conversation, uh, we're more than happy to bring those people to the table to help those discussions and to move forward with a collective plan based on what the state of Texas and, and the local community wants to do. That's my responsibility from the Fed side, is, is that support to bring those right people to the table to have those discussions when we're, when we're requesting. So, okay. And the other half of that question is, yes, I think our community is, is being proactive, more proactive since this event in, in keeping the, uh, the riparian areas vegetated and planted. Uh, there, are, there are those places where there are safety hazards there, and those are being mitigated uh, through, through uh, programs with the county and the city to, to remove those and the federal government so uh, to, to remove those safety hazards but the community wide community as a whole is, is 
pretty acutely aware of the, the need to uh, keep the riparian areas as they are. Okay. One more question, I think. Thank you. Uh, John Nielsen Gammon, Texas State Climatologist. The um, fact that the floods happened relatively recently makes, gets people thinking about the dangers of floods, and now already we're having fire danger and other things going on. My question to everyone on the panel, for your own communities or areas, um, it has, has, is flooding now raised your consciousness? Is that now the disaster you're most concerned with, or has it now moved on to some other particular type of natural disaster or public emergency you think the, your, your own public is not really as prepared for as it should be? Judge Jenkins, you want to take that one first? Well, it's an all-hazards approach to both flooding and other severe, all, all disasters, certainly all, all weather disasters. Uh, so I, I don't think it's, t it's taken a back seat to, to um, other concerns. We're constantly planning for concerns. Just in the last month, we've done um, a man-made terror attack, a, a uh, crude oil derailment. These are, these are um, planning exercises. This didn't occur. But we've done a terror attack at an airport, a train derailment, and a severe weather uh, planning just in the last um, you know, month or so. Does so. so anyone else want to weigh in? Mayor Server, Chief, Chief Kidd. Well, we have, we fortunately uh, don't have a high risk for terror attacks. And we don't have any trains. So uh, we, our primary uh, disaster is going to come in the form of a flood. Uh, but we do, we are aware that we could have other disasters and we're working with our, with our county judges and our county commissioners to, coordinate their emergency plans with ours, uh, since we're such a small community. And, and our emergency response apparatus is the same, whether it's a fire, a flood, or a, a chemical spill on I-35, or um, um, a, a, a crazy man flying his, his personal plane into the IRS building, um, which occurred here, as well as a crazy man shooting up the Austin Police Department. Um, so. The, the good news is, I suppose, our emergency response apparatus um, exists and responds um, regardless of the type of disaster that befalls us. Uh, but in terms of flood specifically, we know that from a statistical standpoint, it's flooding that's going to be the most likely disaster in our region. Okay, so this is our um, last panel of the day, um, and the Tribune uh, invites you to join us for a special uh, reception at the AT&T Conference Center. It's kind of our headquarters over there um, to recap the day sessions. Um, uh, there will be hors d'oeuvres and a cash bar. Um, and let's uh, give a round of applause to our awesome panel. Thank you guys. Thank you guys.